Let's pray together. God, we pray that you will be our obsession and that we will get real about our faith, that we will move closer to you every single day and that we will seek to have a relationship with you that is authentic and real and life-changing. And so, Father, we ask that you bless today and that it will inspire us to move closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, today, we're starting a new series entitled Believe, because believe it or not, we are in the final year of a three-year capital campaign called Believe. And November 15th is Recommitment Sunday, which is the last Recommitment Sunday of the campaign. And for those of you who may not know, we've been in this campaign for the last three years. That was uh, an incredible uh, faith-building time. And Recommitment Sunday is a Sunday when you can either cancel your commitment altogether, you can decrease the amount that you committed, you can increase the amount or you can keep it the same, or if you've not already done so, you can make a new commitment. And um, we do that because, you know, over a three-year period, things change, and we want this to be something that you are um, happy about. That's not something you do out of guilt or obligation. It's something that you do because it's something that you want to do it. And so that's all happening on uh, November 15th. In the meantime, I thought that it would be important to paint for you a better picture of the type of church that you're investing in, right? I mean, I think it's always important that when you're investing in something that you know all the ins and outs about it. And um, I want to talk a little bit about what makes Westridge uniquely Westridge. As many of you know, I'm just a volunteer here, so I don't take any money for the work that I do here at the church And my paying job is that I'm an owner in a real estate investment uh, firm called the Marquette Companies, based out of Naperville. And uh, a few years ago, there was a reorganization that occurred in our company, and I was given the task by my partners to really recreate the culture of the company in such a way that not only makes it profitable, which is, you know, a core value of any business... Um, but also to seek to build a unique company, a company that would be different from other companies where people would actually want to work because they actually enjoy working there, which I think is unique. So the challenge was that we have just under 300 employees in our company, and to figure out how to bring them together and to create one unified culture was the challenge that I had. The question became, what is it that sets us apart from any other real estate investment firm, which are typically pretty boring firms, to be honest with you? And the very first step that I took was to bring all the kind of executives into a room and to bring everyone together and to sit down and create what we believe to be the core values of our company. Those things that we felt like were going to make our company tick. And it was a meeting that actually lasted over two days because everyone felt like this was such a critical, life-changing moment in the life of our 
company because these were the values that were going to clarify who we were as a company moving forward and what we hold on to that we would consider to be dear to us. And when we finally rolled those core values out to the rest of the company, it was amazing how it shifted the vision and began to form a new corporate culture almost immediately that was being shaped by these values. Having gone through that exercise with my company, I began to reflect on Westridge, and I realized, as the founding pastor, I really haven't done a very good job of communicating the core values of this church. I mean, this church was founded on a set of of doctrines and beliefs and values, and while we have a unique culture here, and certainly we discuss our core values, typically they're buried in the middle of some message and not really clearly defined so that everybody can understand who Westridge really is. And so, you know, if you've ever asked what it is that sets Westridge apart from all the other churches that you may have experienced, I would sum it up and say it is found in our core values. And so today I just want to do this. I just want to walk us through the core values of Westridge. Who we are, what drives us, and what sets us apart. Well, good morning, y'all. So I don't normally do this, but I just want to uh, single somebody out for uh, a moment. Uh, one of our boys here in the church uh, later today is going to report for duty for the first time at the Marine Corps Station. So uh, Ryan Metz here. Want to stand up there, Ryan? We just uh, appreciate you and uh, want you to know that we support you in this. And so I just want to just pray for you real quick here. Father, I just uh, thank you for Ryan. You know our love for him. And uh, we just thank you that we can be a church that will support him no matter what he goes through. And I just pray that you keep him safe and well and inspired about what he's doing and uh, just blessed no matter where he uh, no matter where he lands, that he knows that you are with him and that you cover him. In Jesus' name, amen. You know this will always be home for you, my brother. Uh, just by um, its very definition, core values are what support the vision, shape the culture, and reflect the organizational Values. Now, I don't want to get into like a corporate thing here, but I do want to just like use that as a way to kind of explain a few things. Jim Collins, who wrote the book Good to Great, um, and about 100 other books, I think, um, he said, when you're creating a set of core values, you should ask a few questions about them. And he said, first of all, you should ask, if you woke up tomorrow morning with enough money to retire for the rest of your life, would you continue to hold on to these core values? Now, in a corporate setting, that, you know, kind of means a little bit different. But what his point is that no matter what changes in your life, would these values still be the values that you would cling to? The second question is, 
Can you envision these values being as relevant a hundred years from now as they are today? Are they sustainable? Are they timeless? And the third question is, would you want the organization to continue to hold these values even if at some point they became a competitive disadvantage? So in the corporate world, that means even if you lose money. In the church world, we can translate it as if people started flocking out of this place and attendance started dropping like a lead balloon because of the core values, would these be values that we would continue to hold on to and to cling to even at a loss of attendance? And when I look at the core values of Westridge, the answer to all those questions is a resounding yes. Come hell or high water, we hold on to these values as being timeless and relevant and compelling enough that we would die on that hill for these core values. Through the years, of course, there have been people who have come and gone who have tried to make Westridge something that it's not because their natural instinct is they would try to come in here They like it, but they really would like it to be more like some church that they've been to in the past, or they want it to be more like one of the megachurches that they've been to, or they want it to be more like this or that. And my reaction to that is always the same. We're not in competition with any other churches, nor do we aspire to be like any other church. Westridge is uniquely Westridge, and I get it. It's not for everyone, and it's okay. And so if somebody wants it to be like another church, we help them find another church that fits more of what they're looking for. Because the core values of Westridge have stood the test of time, and we believe in them, and this is who we are as a church. All right, so enough of the philosophical stuff, let's get down to it, and let's go through the four core values that I would say make Westridge never church as usual. Now, now I just want to clarify one thing. So, when I talk about core values, this is not our theology, this is not our doctrine, this is not our belief system, all right? This is our core values. Core values drive the culture of the church, not the doctrine of the church. We could be doctrinally exactly like another church, and culturally be completely different from that church because our core values are completely different than that other church's core values, right? Everybody following me? So this is not a doctrinal thing. This is a core value thing. It's a cultural thing. And these are the values that Westridge was founded on 18 years ago. And my hope and prayer is that they will continue to be the core values 100 years from now when I'm dead and gone that this church will continue to rest on these values no matter what happens, that they'll still be in place. All right, so the first core value is this, acceptance, a.k.a. come as you are. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's in your past, no matter what color your skin is or isn't, no matter how much money you have or haven't, Here's a good one. No matter how much money you give to the church or don't, it does not matter to us. We don't care. We don't draw distinctions. 
everyone will be accepted and everyone will be treated just the same as anyone else. In the corporate world, there are people who have position and power. In the church, we seek to remove all of that. We seek to get rid of any kind of hierarchy and create a flat organization where no one is any better or any worse than anybody else. That's why you may have noticed we don't have a senior pastor model of of leadership here at Westridge. It's our goal to remove any hint of ego or church politics where one person can become like the dictator of the church. I have literally been in churches where the ushers cannot set up chairs in the back when everything is full until the pastor walks by, gives them the nod so that they can be released to set up chairs. I mean, it's a control thing. It's an ego thing, and it has no place in the church. Westridge also has no membership. We have no membership by design because we never want to be a place that excludes anyone or ever creates any notion of Christian elitism. That somehow somebody knows the Bible better. Or because this person can quote more scripture than somebody else, that they're perceived as better than anybody else. We don't play that here. God doesn't look at you any differently than anybody else. Westridge has a value of acceptance, which means that we aggressively seek to remove any judgmentalism or Christian elitism from the church because I don't care how good or moral you think you are. I don't care how much of a super-Christian somebody may come off as being. We aren't anybody, we aren't any better than anybody else. We will all, we will all, one day, stand before the same God in the same way. And on that day, on Judgment Day, Nobody is going to have any advantage over anybody else because they can quote more scripture than somebody else. It ain't going to happen. And so we leave the judging to God and get it out of the church where it has no place. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6. Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Or here's the classic that's my favorite. And also in Luke 6, Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you don't see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the dang log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. I added the word dang in there, by the way, in case you want to. <laughs> Jesus is like, you know what? <laughs> I know who you really are. I can I know your thoughts. I know what you've done. And you may be better at hiding your messed up life than somebody else, but that doesn't make you any better than anybody else. Because it ain't so pretty up in your life either. So stop judging. When I hear about any judgment here at Westridge, when I hear about any gossip or backbiting or anything, I confront it. I come running at it because I want to shut that down. And I just want to ask everybody in this room, 
that to do the same. That when we hear any gossip, any judgmentalism, any Christian elitism, that we confront that stuff and we shut that down. This core value, I am proud to say, has been tested over the last 18 years. And there have been people who have walked through the doors of this church who, quite frankly, their own mama have a tough time loving them. (laughs) But in this church, they have been accepted and they have been loved in a very real way that I'm not even sure I had the capacity for. Acceptance is one of the very core values of who we are as a church. The second core value is authenticity, a.k.a. get real. I grew up in a church of very nice people. I remember Mr. Smith, who sat on the right side of the sanctuary, and every Sunday morning, as soon as the closing song was over, I ran up to Mr. Smith because I knew that he would let me slip my hand into his right pocket of his suit jacket, and inside there would be a butterscotch for me. I remember Mary Miller and Leela Howell, who were these older widows in our church that, like, adopted me and took me out to pie on Sundays. It was awesome. Where's that at? Nobody takes me out to pie anymore, I'll tell you that. It's a core value here. I mean, the church was full of nice people like that, you know? And I think churches all across America are filled with, to the brim with really nice people, and it's great because I love nice people. But somewhere along the way, we were taught that Christians were to be nice, polite, politically correct, happy people to the point that whatever's happening in your life, when you walk through the doors of the church, you better put on this like forced fake plastic smile so that nobody knows what's going on really in your life, that something is really wrong because everybody knows that Christians, if you're a real Christian, if you have real faith, then you should be a shiny, happy person like everybody else, right? No. I mean, the problem is that when the church is trying to be a bunch of nice people who never show that anything is ever wrong, Somebody's life could be falling apart right in front of you, and we'd never know it. In the church that I grew up in, for example, when somebody got divorced, there would be like a lot of whispering going on in the church, and all of a sudden, that couple would just disappear forever. An alcoholic would check himself into rehab, and when that finally became public, that person was too ashamed to ever walk back into the doors of the church. Somebody got mad at somebody else and somebody offended somebody and instead of sitting there trying to work through it and talk it through, they just left. But nobody ever talked about any of it. And everyone just kept on being real nice. It's kind of like when they catch the mass murderer, you know, and... The reporter goes and interviews the killer's neighbor, and he's like completely shocked, and he says, well, he seemed like such a nice guy. <laughs> My greatest fear is that Westridge become a church full of nice people. <laughs> I 
When, when we started Westridge, it was all about doing something different. To be a place that was no longer church as usual. But rather that it would be a church that could be authentic. A church where the pastor could get up on stage and not try to pretend like he's something that he's not. To be this great spiritual leader who's like life is flawless. But to talk about what's going on. How messed up I am. You want to get into a therapy session right now? I go there. But just to talk about our flaws and our mistakes and our struggles and our skepticism and our struggles with faith, and it be okay. Because we're not trying to put ourselves up on a pedestal. We're just trying to be in the mix with everybody else walking together down this thing. And, you know, that Westridge be a safe place to know that when you have a struggle, when you have something that you're going through and your life is not pretty, and we see a lot of not pretty stuff, that you can feel safe and know that you can share that because you want to work through that. You want to live differently. You want the life that Jesus wants you to live and to know that when you bring that out into the daylight, that you're not going to be judged, but that you're going to be supported and that you're going to have a group of people that will walk with you through it. A church that keeps it real. And by the way, this is God's vision as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 in the New Testament, it says, Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. What do all those things that we're told to get rid of have in common? They're all symptoms of being fake, right? At the core of disunity in the church is an insecurity that we have personally. And when we're feeling insecure or we're unhappy with our lives or we're ashamed of something that we've done, we, instead of working through it, we lash out and we see, oh, that person looks better than me. And so I'm going to lash out at that person and I'm going to try to make that person look bad so that I can make myself look better when in reality you couldn't look worse. The message for the church is obvious. We need to continue to strive to be a church that is real. No games, no church politics. Just cut through the fake smiles and get honest about what's going on. That Westridge is full of messed up people just like you and you can feel safe about sharing the stuff that you're struggling together because this is a group of people who just want to make it down the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus. The next core value is grace, a.k.a. get over it. We believe that we're not only saved by grace, but that we walk by grace. So here at Westridge, I'm going to be very clear about this. We believe, I'm going to read from my notes so I don't screw it up. We believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. And it is the only truth that matters. Not our opinion, not my opinion or Greg's opinion or anybody else. And where the Bible is clear about an issue, it will always dictate the beliefs and the doctrine 
of this church, even if we may disagree with it, it doesn't matter. It's what the Bible says that matters, and we will always teach the Bible. This is one of those black and white, clear-cut issues in the Christian faith. It's either all the Word of God, or none of it is. You can't pick and choose what you want to believe in the Bible. However, there is a whole lot of stuff in the Bible that we just don't have a clue about. In fact, I was thinking yesterday... As I was writing, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool to do a series about all the stuff we don't have a clue about? (laughs) I'm not sure what I would say other than to say I don't have a clue about it, but here's the stuff we don't have a clue about. But, you know, our opinions are just that. And everybody has an opinion about those things that the Bible's not clear about. They do. Very clearly, they have uh, an opinion about the things that aren't clear. And people and churches draw lines in the sand and say, you know, dictate the beliefs of the church because you're either pre-mill or you're post-mill or you're out-to-mill or whatever it is. And, you know, those are the things that, like, divide the church. People want to argue about religious stuff all the time. And I just get so sick of it. And most of the time, when you boil it down, you go, who cares? Really? Like, in the scheme of things, most of the stuff that people are arguing about, you go, who cares? We argue about the stupidest stuff, and churches just dig in and, you know, argue, and churches split because of whether you have a piano in the auditorium or you don't, or you just go, what are you doing? Good Lord. And it's stuff that, you know, people have no idea about, and, and <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Romans. <laughs> this is where I get myself in trouble when I get away from my notes, so I'm going to go back to my notes. Romans 14.1. Accept those whose faith is weaker without quarreling over each other's opinions. That's what the church is all about. When you look at you know, how the church is set up in the New Testament, it's all about creating unity and and being unified rather than creating division about this or that or other things. And it's, and, you know, it's not limited areas of doctrine. People get upset in the church because they can't agree on you know, whether the back of the auditorium should be blue or brown or whether the cappuccino should be hot or cold. And we should have extra hot cappuccinos, by the way, in the cafe. Um, <laughs> Or, or whether women should be leaders in the church, or whether there should be a woman up on stage or on the leadership team, or whether we, you know, serve wine for a concert. Or I mean, we, I could go on and on and on, really. But the bottom line is this. There are no perfect churches, and everybody in this room, like, has a different opinion than you, right? And somehow, we've got to accept that. We've got to get comfortable that we don't have to be right. We don't have to go to our grave always trying to be right and, 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 and causing division about stuff that just doesn't matter. Whether you like it or not, God created us. Somehow, he created us. God help us all that the only way that we grow spiritually is in community with each other. So we're stuck with each other, right? So we've got to figure this thing out. And building authentic community is hard work, and it requires us to talk through stuff and to be tolerant of stuff. But if I were to say anything 
It's to walk with grace, to give people a little grace along the way and understand that it's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. We can disagree on some things as long as we agree on the basics, that we're saved by grace through faith. Jesus died on the cross for us. He's the only way to salvation. Man, I mean, that just gives me goosebumps when we just like take that on and say, this is what I believe. But all this other stuff, we have no idea about, and it's okay. It's okay. A little grace brings about an incredibly strong community. Last core value, gratitude, a.k.a. get grateful. I have learned that spiritual growth is not easy. There is not some three-step process that gets you from here to there. And there is no magic formula. And if you desire to follow Jesus, that's great. But if you're following Jesus, if you're calling yourself a Christian out of some sense of guilt or obligation or family tradition or just because you're afraid of going to hell, that is not enough to sustain you in your faith. It's just not. My Bible background, I was raised in the church, but I was a pastor's kid, and it wasn't enough to hold me into my, um, to my relationship with God when the rubber hit the road, and I walked. I bolted. Spiritual growth is messy and dynamic, and it's a whole lot of work, and the only thing that I am aware of that will ever move us into a strong, sustainable relationship with God is one thing. Gratitude. It's only when we realize just how dark was the darkness we were in. Just how lost we really were before we found Jesus. When we can look back and we can see the hard times that God has brought us through, when we fully grasp that, only then can we fully grasp the grace of God. And when we can finally grasp the grace of God, we can't help but be grateful for what He's done for us, for His forgiveness, for His grace, for His love. And every day... When you get that every day for the rest of your life, you just want to walk around saying thank you and do things that say thank you for what God has done for you. I don't think it's any mistake in Ephesians 2, which is our core passage for how we are saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God and not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which he prepared us in advance to do. I don't think it's any mistake that the grace thing is first. Grace is foundational for everything else. If I were to chart out the Christian life, I were to chart it out like this. We have that there? Yeah. By the way, I paid our 16-year-old 20 bucks to do this graphic for me today. (laughs) That foundationally, we start with grace. And when you get that grace thing, you can't help but be grateful for the grace that you've received. 
And when you are grateful, you just want to say thanks to God, and all of a sudden, even if you're a stingy person, you become a generous person because you are just so grateful and you become generous in every way of your life. You want to do things. You want to serve. You want to give in the offering. You want to participate in a capital campaign. You want to serve and clean dirty diapers at the 9 o'clock service, which we need people to do. (laughs) Not because you want to. Not because you have to, but because you're so grateful that this is something that you just have a desire to do. And there is nothing that causes you to grow spiritually. You want to know how to grow spiritually? When you are living a life of generosity, nothing spurs spiritual growth like being a generous person. Which then thrusts us back into the arms of grace. And we begin to understand more the depth of grace. And we get more grateful. And we become more generous. And we grow more. This is the cycle of the Christian life. This is what we should all aspire to have in our lives. Like that song said, that we don't take our lives for granted, that we just every day want to say thank you and to give back for what God has done for us. Look, here's the bottom line about West Church. I love this church. I wouldn't do the amount of work as a volunteer here if I didn't love this church and think that this was a very unique place. But my hope is after this morning, hearing these core values, understanding a little bit better about what Westridge is all about, I hope one of two things happens. And I'm being serious. Either you realize after hearing hearing what this place is all about that you realize that this place is not for you. And that you can finally be freed up to go out and find a church that is for you because at the end of the day, We're not here to, like, try to have who has the biggest attendance. We're here to help you grow spiritually, and you need to find a church that's going to help you grow. And if Westridge is not that, then find another church. Or you realize, after hearing this message today, that Westridge is exactly what you hoped it would be. It has confirmed everything that you've suspected about this church. So now, dig in. Get real. Plant roots. Get invested. Get involved. Become part of the community. This is not a Sunday morning thing. This is a community thing that we're doing 24-7. We're trying desperately (laughs) to live our lives out the way that Jesus wants us to live. And the only way to do that is to do it together. Westridge is far from being a perfect church. We are just a group of people who have messed up our lives. And now, we just want to live differently. We want to become the people that God created us to be. And we're just a group of people who love Jesus. And we're trying to follow him down that narrow dirt path. And there's times when we stumble. And there's times when we fall. But what Westridge is all about is that when you fall down, you know that there's going to be another Westridger there that's going to be standing there to help get you back on your feet, to dust you off and say, come on. Let's finish this thing together.